Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. Good morning to you today. Now it could be that I say good morning and you say to yourself, "There's no sign." There's no sign yet that the sun is going to rise. Well, that's because today is, I mean, I say it's the longest, it's the shortest day of the year, it's the longest period of time in the darkness, but that's only if you live in the Northern Hemisphere, and the further north you live in the Northern Hemisphere, the darker it is, and the colder it is today. So I recognize that on this 21st day of December, I'm going to actually talk more about darkness and light and This particular day at the opening of the second hour, because today I want to talk um, here with you about today's growing your faith verse of the day. And it comes from Luke chapter two, verses eight to 12. And as we spend time um, during this month in the texts of scripture that reveal the, the sending of Jesus, the arrival of Jesus, what we call Christmas, um, we, we find ourselves today with shepherds who are in their field in their fields watching over their flocks by night near a little town called Bethlehem in the Judean countryside so we're talking about the context of Israel as a nation um, as a place at, at a point in time they are at this point in time under roman occupation they have been waiting some 400 years in the silence for god to speak again a word They have been awaiting a Messiah for millennia at this point in time. And these shepherds are tending flocks from which are drawn the sacrifices, the sacrificial lambs that that go to slaughter at the temple in Jerusalem. And so these are absolutely God-fearing Jewish men. Uh, And so keep all of that in mind as we read Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 12. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Shepherds are um, interesting characters throughout both the Old and the New Testament. Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd, and the people of his time would have absolutely understood what a good shepherd was, um, different than a hired shepherd. A hired shepherd is going to There's one thing a hired shepherd is not going to do. He's not going to lay down his life because those sheep aren't really his. But a good shepherd, a good shepherd will do anything. Um, He will go look for the lost lamb. He will carry the wounded and the injured. He will um, 
every single day find places of good fodder and safe shelter. Jesus is a good shepherd. And these are good shepherds to whom the angel appears. So let's just pause right there for a second. So we got these shepherds and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. I mean, wait just a moment. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. 400 years of silence. These are people who have been awaiting a word from the Lord. And with the appearance of this angel, the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now, we we talk about the glory of God descending upon a place or upon a people. You're talking about um, a light, a radiance, um, a transcendent reality. You're talking about what happens on the mountain of transfiguration when Jesus's glory shows forth. You're talking about what Moses experienced on Mount Sinai, something that literally changed um, his complexion and his face. Like the glory of the Lord shone around them. No wonder they were terrified. And then the angel says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news, genuinely good news, life-changing, history-changing good news. And it's going to cause great joy for people. Today, a Savior has been born. Not just any Savior, the Messiah, the Lord. And then the angel graciously pointed to a sign that God had given Aren't you so grateful to God for the signs that he sends? And aren't you grateful today for the way that God wants to use you as a sign to others? How could you be a human signpost today, pointing people to the manger throne of the Messiah, the Lord? A Savior has been born. It is good news of great joy, and it's intended for all people. And you and I are the people that God sends to be signs of that lightness in the darkness of our day. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. Next up, we're going to continue our conversation with our friend Daryl Crouch. We're bringing the living word of God into our lives and talking about how we live it out. So what are your expectations and what are you experiencing in this season? Experiencing genuine joy? Mm -hmm. Well, what are you expecting? What are you expecting? at Christmas this year. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Whoa, I've seen fire and I've seen rain I've seen sunny days that I thought would never end our friend Daryl Crouch is back. You can find him at everyoneswilson.org. Merry Christmas, my friend. Well, Merry Christmas, Carmen, and to everybody listening. Hope you're having yeah, a great so, day. So you're up in the dark. I mean, because you live in the Northern Hemisphere, um, you're up in the dark today. Um, maybe yeah, it's dark should... all day here. Yeah. I mean, it's not dark. Yeah, we get like three minutes of light, but uh, they're awesome. <laughs> Are you in Alaska today? You're getting more than three <laughs> no, minutes of no, light. It's... Yeah. No, I'm I'm still here in Middle Tennessee, but uh, yeah, it's yeah, just that time of year. It is that time of year. Um, so I love talking with you about how we as Christians move from what we receive as the living Word of God, the Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, to actually living it out 
as the word of God? Like, what is it? What does it look like not just to receive it as the living word of God, but then to live it out as the word of God? So I thought today maybe we would look at Ephesians chapter three, verses 20 and 21. And I'm going to read it from the message. Mm -hmm. God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently within us. Glory to God in the church. Glory to God in the Messiah, in Jesus. Glory down all generations. Glory through all millennia. Oh, yes. Mm. Um, I like the way that um, this is articulated here. And I'm, I guess I'm wondering when we, I want to talk about glory in just a minute, but I want to start with this asking or failing to ask for something that's just really like beyond our expectations, totally unimaginable. Jesus was not the gift the world was looking for. Jesus was not the gift the world expected. But Jesus is exactly the gift the world needed. Can you just reflect on that for a moment? It's really good. And and, uh, and Eugene Peterson does a wonderful job there, uh, just expanding that text and reminding us of the fact that um, when when God has, um, when he created us, he, he created us for something eternal. Uh, but often our uh, expectations and our framework is so very limited. And it's um, uh, part of it's just to be about being human, but uh, some of it uh, is about being sinful and just our sin nature is so self-consumed and uh, so focused on uh, our capabilities and our comforts and the things that we would expect out of life. And we talk about, we hear that a lot in this particular um, cultural moment of just getting all that we can out of life and um, and that's life and it is what it is and those kinds of phrases that, that uh, settle us in to... Um, a reality that is far less than what God has created us for. And um, I think uh, sometimes we are afraid, perhaps, and sometimes in the f- folks I run with are maybe a little bit afraid of being too mystical or or too, um, um, you know, uh, uh, super spiritual. But the reality is that God is at work and wants to do immeasurably more than we could ask or think. And so uh, Christmas is a the example of that, uh, of all of history, and that God broke through um, and uh, came near to us. And uh, the shepherds, you just read that wonderful passage from Luke 2, the shepherds um, were, some may have been expecting a Messiah, some may have thought, you know, had been in in, in temple some, and they knew that there was a, a Messiah coming, but it's probably not uh, at the at the top of their mind, as they say now. And so I, I, I think when the angels approached and, and um, said, do not fear, there was a reason for them to say, do not fear, because the shepherds were absolutely, uh, you know, would have been out of their mind like any of us would have been. And so I, I think uh, the Christmas story and the narrative is so important because it does remind us that God has called us to something greater than what our human framework allows for. And that um, if we just simply try to squeeze out of life what we 
can do and read the next self-help book. And I'm not opposed to improving ourselves, but the next, the next thing we're going to miss Jesus. Mm. And we're going to miss the riches of his glory and grace. And, um, and we're going to settle for, for a life that is very, uh, doable, uh, but not incredibly, um, um, satisfying. And so um, I, I think Christmas is just a reminder, and certainly the Ephesians passage has been so important to me over the last several years, and that I just want to step into whatever God is doing and trust Him to do. Um, I'm going to make a list. I'm going to work a list for the new year, and we're going to do all that. But my lands, God wants to do immeasurably more than what we can ask or think. I love that. We're going to continue this conversation with uh, Daryl Crouch in just a moment. God can do anything, you know, far more than we ordinarily imagine or guess or even think to request in our wildest prayers or most ardent um, dreams. So we're going to continue this conversation about the gift that God sends. And um, it's not a what, it's a who. Mm -hmm. So are you ready to receive the real gift of Christmas this year? You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Thanks so much for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Hey, I'm Susie Larson. Hey, if you enjoy what you're listening to here, would you consider subscribing to other great Faith Radio podcasts like mine? Search Susie Larson Live at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit subscribe and have a great day. Continuing our conversation with our friend Daryl Crouch, you can find Daryl at everyoneswilson.org. He also has a sub stack, just his name, Daryl Crouch. Um, Daryl, when you um, when you think about the gift that God sends in the person of Jesus, um, I guess I'm wondering when you were a kid making your Christmas list, or even people who you know now who make like Christmas wish lists. It, Jesus is often, I mean, I don't know anybody actually who puts Jesus at the top of their Christmas wish list, but we all should. I mean, God's greatest gift isn't a what, it's a who. Um, and when, you know, even in this uh, this passage that we um, have been talking about and around this morning, you know, when the angel appears, the sign that's given um, isn't the manger. It's not the bands of cloth. It's the baby, like you're gonna find this baby. It's a who. Um, who is Jesus? Like who? Who is this one that God sends as a gift at Christmas? That's so good. Well, He is the eternal uh, Son of God, member of the Triune Godhead, eternal from before there was time. He is uh, forever eternal, and uh, He is in company. Uh, with um, God the Father and God the Spirit, and He is, as you say, a person. And uh, when we think about birthdays, obviously we celebrate a person, um, the birth of a person who who we love, who we know, who we commune with every day. So I do think Christmas loses a lot um, when Jesus is not um, someone we commune with every day. Um, it's like celebrating a birthday uh, for a stranger or for an ex- you know a, a strange family member that we haven't talked to all year, but yet we attempt to 
to celebrate on the birthday. And that's super awkward and not not incredibly personal. And so uh, for us, I, I think about uh, as you go along in Luke chapter two, you'll find this um, man named Simeon who who is waiting. He is waiting for uh, the consolation or the salvation of of his people, Israel. And he sees Jesus and he says, you know, this is enough. I'm you you can you know you can take me now lord I, i'm i'm done here uh, i've seen uh, the consolation i've seen the hope of my people my eyes have seen him and um and simeon was talking about a person talking about this baby jesus and um he knew that the hope of his people was in a person not in a religious tradition or in a sentimental ceremony or a cultural holiday uh, he knew that his hope and the hope of his people was in a person, and he was able to celebrate. Um, I, I think if uh, we um, can sit, uh, I want one. There's a practice and um, a, a spiritual discipline practice. I think it's very helpful, and, and it's just to. And it could be for three minutes or five minutes or fifty minutes, but just to sit in silence before the Lord and reflect. Uh, maybe with your Bible open, that's always a good thing, and um, reading a passage, but reflecting on the person who has who has come to redeem us, and um, thanking the Father for sending Him, thanking the Son for not just voluntarily coming, but eagerly coming to rescue us, um, doing it with joy, as for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. There, there is such a sense that this person uh, of the Godhead, he loves us so much that he would he would eagerly come to us at just the right time to redeem us and to rescue us from our sin. Um, this is the person who has uh, who um, who we celebrate at Christmas and certainly every every Sunday we remember him and celebrate his work. Um, but daily, I think, to commune with him, Carmen, is uh, is not only a part of the Christian life, it is the life of the Christian. Mm. That's so good. I mean, there's so many, even just words in there, the, um, the practice, the spiritual practice of sitting in silence before the Lord and communing with him. I, I think we have reduced communion to something... Um, you know, that's a, that's a scheduled act <laughs> that we yeah. do together at the, you know, at the, at, at the Lord's table. Um, but communing with the Lord in an ongoing, um, as an ongoing reality in my life. I think when Paul talks about praying without ceasing, he's talking about communing with the Lord. He's, he's, yeah. um, you know, when we talk about, um, walking by faith and not by sight. We're talking about communing with the Lord. Um, and uh, Absolutely, and, yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, maybe in particular for people who are going to be alone um, mm. during this holiday season, maybe this is a particular encouragement and comfort today. Um, it's this invitation to genuinely commune with the Lord. He is present. He He is present. Um, and, yeah, and, and I that think is, that's that such is a... really good news. It's such good news, uh, Carmen, and many of us here, this is, um, we, we know this, so there are many people who are, are alone, 
And uh, this whole culture of loneliness is is real at Christmas, but it's even more profound at Christmas. And um, but I think it is, and it sounds you know like we're spiritualizing something, but this is true. In Christ, you are never alone. And um, while the the trappings of the holiday may not be all that you had hoped it would be. Um, we, we all, many of us, uh, decorate for Christmas. Uh, our, our living area is just looks beautiful. Uh, and we're, I'm so grateful for that. It's such a, a warm time of the year to be with family and friends. But, uh, there's also great brokenness in every family. There are huge challenges to every, in every relationship. So I would just encourage your listeners to, to just know that the Lord is near. He is near the brokenhearted. He has not left you. And this day is very important. Christmas day is very important. But every day we walk, we, we have a, we have the abiding presence of the Lord who is with us. And so, uh, while everything is not like they sh- it should be on this side of heaven, uh, one thing that is true and that it is as it should be and as it will ever forever be is that the Lord is near to us. And he is with us. Amen. Amen. Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Um, Daryl, thank you as always. Merry Christmas. Um, we look forward to our next conversation with you in the new year, um, God willing. And when we when we turn the page from 2022 to 2023, I know that you will be um, living it as unto the Lord. And we encourage everyone listening to do so as well. Hey, Merry Christmas, Carmen, and Happy New Year. Uh, so grateful for all you do uh, to invest in the kingdom. Well, that's mutual. That's mutual. That's Daryl Crouch. You can find him at everyoneswilson.org. If you're wondering, you know, how can I get together with other Christians and genuinely change the reality of the place where I live? Great ideas, great inspiration, um, great collaborative efforts at everyoneswilson.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. All right, there's a lot uh, going on generation to generation, and sometimes it helps us to just pause and think about not only the generation of which we are a member or a part, but the generations coming after us. So in all likelihood, uh, listening right now, you are, you know, you are like me. Um, I'm in my, ooh, now almost mid-50s, right? Um, I don't know, 54, is that mid? That feels pretty mid. That's pretty 50s. mid, yeah, yeah. That's pretty mid, right? <laughs> um, so, you know, you might be a little older than me, you might be a little younger than me, in all likelihood you're somewhere in a 20-year uh, age span of me, which means that we are not a part um, of the open generation. Uh, that's teenagers, like, right? They're, they're 13 to 17. In all likelihood... Um, That's not who you are, but it is likely a group of people about whom you are genuinely, genuinely concerned. And it's possible that you um, are in the age band that's just a little bit older than that, the group that we're going to call the connected generation. Um, But in all likelihood, that's also those those really young adults. Those are also um, people who you're going to want to know how to better relate to as a parent or a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, a teacher, a coach, a friend. 
And so we wanted to talk with Daniel Copeland from um, Barna Research about these two emerging generations, the open generation and the connected generation. This is a conversation that I recorded with Daniel, and that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Really privileged to have joining us today, Daniel Copeland. He's the Associate Vice President of Research of Barna Group. You can find what we're talking about today at Barna.com. For the beginning part of the conversation, you're looking for the tab at the top of the page that says the open generation. Daniel, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hi there. Good morning. So when I uh, when I click on the open generation up there at the top of the page, one of the really cool things is the interactive map. So let's just start with the scope of um, the Open Generation Project, 25,000 teenagers around the world. I mean, this was, this is a big study. Yeah, it was a really ambitious study. So the Open Generation includes responses from nearly 25,000 teens, uh, ages 13 to 17 across 26 countries. So we wrote and sent out a survey to a cross-section of teens, nationally representative in each country, uh, regardless of their faith background, but diverse of regions, socioeconomic status, um, urbanicity. And the study was developed to uh, and connected by Barna Group in 2021. We partnered with the organizations Alpha, Biblica, World Vision, with some additional sponsors, Christian Vision, uh, Bible Study Fellowship, Christ and Youth, and the Association of Christian Schools International, with the goal to advance the understanding of teens globally, their identity, values, views. Uh, we really wanted to listen to and learn from them about uh, topics like how they perceive Jesus, the Bible, justice, and what encourages them, what scares them, what what's meaningful to them. It's an incredible study. You know, I think there's no question that as adults, we're interested in, you know, sort of like what's going on in the, in the mind and the heart in the midst of the conversations among teenagers. You're really giving us a window into, you know, how they answer questions about themselves and their view of Jesus, the Bible, and and justice in particular, and uh, and where they see the need for change and how they see themselves as participating in that. So I'd love to unpack a few of those findings with you. Why are you calling this particular generation, these 13 to 17-year-olds, why are you calling them the open generation? Yeah, so the Open Generation, uh, when we first started this study, it was the Global Teens Project, and we never really felt like that was the greatest way to describe this generation, and sometimes you can't know how to characterize something in, uh, in a research study until you're really in the depths of the data, and what we came around was the fact that this generation, and specifically this age range, you think about 13 to 17 year olds, what we saw throughout this data was that they're so open. They're so open to the world. They are excited to learn about Christ. They're excited to learn about scripture and about justice. Uh, they're excited to experience the world. They don't have uh, the marks of closedness, if you thought of it that way, that so much of the world has today. And so when, when we study other generations, uh, especially in the United States, generations that have been overstudied, and we see a lot of resentment and a lot of uh, skepticism. We were so impressed and so taken aback by a generation marked by openness, a generation marked by desire to uncover and learn. 
Um, and so it was the trait that as we read through the data and as we analyzed and dug, dug deeper, it was the trait or the word that just kept coming up. And eventually we realized that's what maybe that was the one thing a person could take away from the study. And so we were excited to title it that such that church leaders and uh, readers around the world could, if they just learned one thing, they would learn that this is a generation marked by openness. Yeah, curious, interested, open. I think those are all really, really great words. We're talking today about research done by Barna. You can find it at Barna.com. Daniel Copeland is our conversation partner on the study, The Open Generation. Daniel, tell us, um, you know, like specifically, what did you learn from these teenagers about Jesus in terms of how they relate to the character or the person of Jesus? So we split our study up into three volumes, uh, how to teens perceive and relate to Jesus, how they engage with scripture, and how they want to make a difference. And so when we were, in, uh, we were really interested in how do they actually just perceive the person of Christ. And one of the first things that we recognize is that most teens around the world have a positive perception of Jesus. For example, about half of teens across all faith groups describe Jesus as loving. It was 49% of them. Uh, they believe he offers hope to people, six, uh, 46% of them. They believe that Jesus cares about people, those 43% of them. And they're really curious about Jesus. Uh, Two-fifths of them are motivated to continue learning about Jesus, and 21% said that they're somewhat motivated to do so. So the majority are excited to keep learning about Jesus. They think he's this compassionate, uh, loving person that they really want to embody and they want to be like. All right. So as a Christian who wants more people to know about Jesus, I'm pretty excited that so many teenagers around the world are motivated and interested to know more about him. Like, I find that to be a really encouraging takeaway. Did your partners in this research, did they find that particular takeaway really encouraging to them? Absolutely. I think it's really easy in the information-laden world that we currently live in to believe that people, when, when people aren't interested in Christianity or when they're not interested in the church, we somehow in our brains correlate to that to they're not interested in Christ. But mm-hmm. over and over again, our data suggests the opposite, that despite skepticisms of institutions, despite the unwillingness to attend church at times, people are really interested in Jesus. They're really interested in who he is and his message because it stands out as novel and different um, than what the world usually, than the majority experiences that we're having. The disappointment, to say it that way, that came to us and a lot of our partners is what we called the partial gospel, which was that only some core elements of the Christian gospel story come through in teens' perceptions of Jesus. Just as an example of that, nearly half of teens overall, about 47%, believe Jesus was crucified. And that's a historic fact, Uh, but only half of our sample of 13 to 17-year-olds believed that. Uh, And only about a third say that Jesus rose again. So teens' perceptions of Jesus, they're pretty complicated. They believe he's good and compassionate and loving, but they also tend to have this partial gospel perspective. Um, And that kind of disappointed us and surprised us as a team that they can be so drawn to his person, but they're actually somewhat unfamiliar with the story of Jesus himself. Yeah, it totally breaks down for me. It it comes into direct conflict with the idea that, oh, you know what? Everybody's heard about Jesus. Everybody knows the story. Everybody knows what Christmas is about. Everybody knows what Easter is about. No, in fact, they don't. And they're curious to know. 
Um, we're talking with Daniel Copeland. We're talking about a current project that you can find at Barna.com. It's called The Open Generation. We're going to continue our conversation here in just a moment on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Picking up in our conversation with Daniel Copeland from Barna Research, you can find what we're talking about at Barna.com. Click on the Open Generation tab, scroll around on the really cool interactive map, and then check out the three different reports that grow out of this uh, massive international study of teenagers ages 13 to 17. We've already talked with Daniel about um, the outcomes of this in terms of teens around the world and how they relate to Jesus. Daniel, let's dig in a little bit to um, what you guys learned about how teens around the world view the Bible. Yeah, absolutely. So what we find in our research uh, around the globe is that teens have generally high opinions of the Bible. Uh, About 44% recognize that the Bible is holy. 41% said that it's inspired by God. 40% say that it's good and meaningful. However, about 22% of teens who read the Bible say they don't fully understand it, uh, that they have difficulties understanding or interpreting it. And on top of that, Bible reading is just not actually that normal for teenagers. Only about one in five teens in our study say that they use the Bible at least weekly. And 41%, so about two out of five, say that they never use the Bible. So it's something that they have a high regard of. It's something that they they tend to believe the quote-unquote right things about the Bible, but it's not something that's actually integrated into the majority or, or into their regular disciplines throughout the week. Yeah, that's really um, informative in terms of this part of the study. I want to jump to a conversation about the third portion of the study, and that's the sort of the the justice or impact portion. This is a really activism-oriented generation. I think we know that. They want to see change. Talk with us about the change they want to see and how they see themselves as integral to making that change happen. Yeah, the change that they want to see. It's impossible for us to do studies about next generations without talking about justice and impact and social causes. Uh, What we learned in this study is that the majority of teens believe their generation can make a positive impact. That was nearly nine out of 10 of them. And they're motivated to do something about the unfair and undeserved treatment of people in society. That was eight out of 10 of them. What we really uncovered underneath the surface of this, though, was that while the majority of teens believe that it's important to address injustice, they're motivated to address injustice. What they lack is confidence and commitment. There's a conviction that's not being matched with confidence and commitment. So roughly two in five strongly agree that they can make a positive impact on the lives of others. And they say say that they will engage in activities that promote justice, but they tend to lack confidence. They tend to say, uh, not feel like they can be doing this for their entire lives. They don't, they're not entirely sure people are going to follow them or listen to them. 
And so it's a really interesting relationship. You, we, we can't study next generations without talking about this topic, but we also recognize that they're skeptical themselves. Uh, they, they are missing that confidence, that commitment of how will we make a difference? We believe we can, but we don't know if it's going to get matched up in the world. We don't know uh, how this is going to play out. Yeah, I view I view this as a real opportunity for um, Christians who maybe are you know generationally older, but also more mature in their faith to come alongside members of this uh, open generation and say, "Hey, you know, tell us what you're passionate about, and then maybe we can show you." Um, and put you in touch with and help you collaborate with others who are concerned about these similar things, but maybe who already have a resource base put together, um, and maybe who do have some confidence in in bringing change or at least bringing people together um, around a particular need for change. I see this as a real opportunity for more mature Christians to hear and listen to younger um, younger people and actually help them bring about the change that they want to see. Yeah, I have to completely agree. I think that a lot of times church leaders tend to feel a little uh, discouraged from getting involved in this conversation because they often feel like they are not an expert or maybe they don't know enough. But their expertise can be in the fact that they've been around a long time and they've learned a few things about leadership. They've learned how to get things off the ground. And so we can match up our expertise as church leaders in terms of how to get a movement started, how to get people dialoguing together, and we can marry that with the passion and the conviction that these next generations carry uh, such that we're not needing, we don't need to be the experts of these causes. We don't need to be the experts of what to be, uh, what needs to be done. We can offer them our leadership. We can offer them our ears. We can listen to them and help them see out the things that they're called to. And I think that's an incredibly encouraging message of hope for how we can steward the passion of the next generation. Yeah, Daniel, I just, uh, I just discovered this week in a in a world that now has 8 billion people in it that as a 54-year-old, 80% of the global population is younger than I am. And so now I suddenly feel old and very mature. And so like, right, worthy of bringing my input, uh, you know, and saying, oh, you know what, I'm this, uh, I'm an old wise and soul. Maybe I have something to offer. Um, and then to listen to those who are younger and say, hey, how can I help? This open generation is not the only generation you know, sort of younger than my own. There's also this connected generation, this uh, this group that's 18 to 35. Can we take a step back and just briefly revisit the connected generation work that you guys did at Barna and maybe, um, you know, some places of connection or observations that you would make between these two studies, the open and the connected generations? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so encouraged that we get to talk about both of these studies together because for, for Barna Group, this has been one big story. Um, about how uh, church leaders and Christian leaders around the globe serve next generations. So in 2019, uh, Barna Group combined our research expertise with the worldwide reach of World Vision to conduct a global study of the millennial generation. So this study was about 15,000 online interviews with 18 to 35 year olds. It touched 25 countries. And in that study, we were really uh, digging into their goals, their fears, their relationships, their routines and beliefs about the world itself. We were, it was a, story, a study all about perspectives. And we titled it The Connected Generation because this was the generation, uh, in one hand, you could say this was the generation that in the middle of their adolescence, the iPhone comes out uh, and Facebook and social media takes off. And so they were a generation, are a generation that is marked 
by connectivity in a way that the world has never experienced before. You know, if, if, if you think a hundred years back, people couldn't have even imagined the fact that via my phone, via this, you know, magical electronic device in my hand, I can connect with somebody on the other side of the globe right now. I could even have a relationship with them. So we titled it The Connected Generation because they all have that one thing in common, connectivity. So many of these driven ad uh, adults, they're wary and weary. They're wrestling with questions, longing for deeper relationships. And those things are also common around the globe. And so it was exciting. And this is pre-COVID to be able to describe what a digital generation truly looks like and feels like. And the way I would connect it to the open generation, so the connected generation, 18 to 35-year-olds, the open generation, 13 to 17-year-olds, is that... If somebody's going to drop out of religion, they're likely, statistically, they're going to do it at 20 or 21 years old. And so the connected generation was really about studying a generation who experienced connectivity and the results of that connectivity, the results of being an, uh, a generation overwhelmed with information and the fact that upwards of 57% of them who were raised Christian dropped out versus the open generation who is so open to new information, so open to new thoughts. And so it's really exciting to be able to think about how trajectory-wise, a lot of the open generation is, is heading towards the experiences of the connected generation. But we get to see that these things aren't uh, a monolith. These things are not tried and true. Uh, it's nothing's been decided yet. The open generation can pave a new path and we can learn from the experiences of the connected generation uh, such that we can then lead the open generation a little better. All right. If you're listening right now and you're saying to yourself, wow, I would love um, I'd love to know about more to more about this. And I'd love to put this um, research in the hands of those in leadership in organizations that I love or the church of which I am a part. You can do that. Just go to Barna. Dot com. You can find the open generation there at the top of the page, um, and you can just search for the connected generation and all of that information will come up as well. I think the connected generation actually has its own dedicated website, doesn't it, Daniel? It does, theconnecteddgeneration.org. All right. So let me uh, let me challenge you and encourage you if you're listening right now and you are in leadership in a Christian organization or in a church, and you say to yourself, I have a lot of influence um, and I want the gospel to be activated in the lives of these younger generations. And I'm just going to go ahead and confess that I'm not doing a very good job of that. Please use this research as a tool to help you understand what's happening in emerging generations and also as a conversational starting point with people who are younger than you, who are, um, you know, sort of within your spheres of influence or within your reach, particularly in your vocation. I mean, one of the things that really strongly emerges from the connected generation research is how vocation is really a good place to connect with those who are younger than us and offer to mentor them. It's life on life discipleship for those of you um, who are Christians and know what that means. Uh, your vocation and, and your vocational space is now the primary place where emerging generations are interested in integrating all of that together. So use the research that Barna has provided. That's what it's there for. You can find it all at Barna.com. Uh, the information, particularly about the Connected Generation, all of that at theconnecteddgeneration.org. Daniel Copeland, thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's really a pleasure. Absolutely. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. 
All right, the uh, the angels we have heard on high, they have declared the good news of great joy for all people, and we have the opportunity then to go and tell it on the mountain to others. Wondering um, if you have some favorite Christmas carols and or favorite Christmas hymns. Do you know the story behind those Christmas carols and those Christmas hymns? I, I always think that that's a... Um, that's that's one of the the good things to do this time of year is to consider why um, certain people wrote certain things um, about the Christmas story. Um, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. I think we've already, you know, we've we've talked about that one um, of late. And if you haven't seen the movie based on the life of uh, Charles. Appleton Longfellow, um, Longfellow being, you know, one of the just great American um, Christian poets. Um, that might be something that you want to consider. His life is really a, a tragic, complicated, wonderful, hope-filled, like, tragedy in the best sense of the word. And on Friday, December the 25th, 1863, Longfellow, he was 57 years old at the time. He was the widowed father of six children. Um, The oldest had been nearly paralyzed. Um, He wrote a poem seeking to capture the dynamic and the dissonance in his own heart as he observed Christmas Day. And so when he thought about peace on earth and goodwill to men, um, this song, this what we have as a song, for him it was a poem. Um, poured forth. Um, So what's your favorite Christmas carol or Christmas hymn? What's the story of the person behind it? Maybe that is a good little, you know, little research project for you today, um, because it'll give you talking points. And it will also maybe change the way you sing that particular song or carol. So that might be today's little um, holiday hint. We got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Remember, you can always pass the show along to others via the podcast. Hopefully you are subscribed to Mornings with Carmen wherever you get your podcasts. Um, If not, maybe you do that today and share it with someone else. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.